Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to Alumless. Thank you so much for listening. We're so glad you're here. It's Ryan and Chris, and it is getting close to the holiday season. We are coming down the home stretch to just what, uh, maybe another week or two of higher ed business. I don't know. Pretty much everyone kind of shuts it down that week before the holidays, and some schools are kind of shutting it down probably next week. But um, it's always felt like that was one of the perks of working in higher ed. It was kind of a nice longer holiday break. But uh, we're glad you're joining us. Today is the 8th of December, and we have a great guest today, Rod Grabowski from the University of Central Florida, who we will introduce in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Before we get too far down the road, I want to make sure to introduce our fantastic sponsor for the show, Protopia. We as engagement pros are always thinking about how to create more volunteer opportunities. Volunteers give at two and three times the rate. So this is incredibly important for alumni leaders working in integrated advancement models because we're trying to build a pipeline of donors. At the same time, students throughout the educational journey have questions that they could use advice from alumni. As engagement pros, we're asked to figure out ways to make the alumni network available from prospective student to former student and develop partnerships across campus that will showcase in real terms how valuable the alumni network can be. So that's what Protopia solves for. Without requiring alumni or students or anybody else to sign up for an app or a platform, Protopia's AI-powered technology activates alumni and turns them into volunteers in a flash. Students and alumni seeking advice are connected while removing the administrative burden on the staff. Uh, Protopia is definitely the tool that you have been looking for. Uh, Check out and find out what Duke, the London School of Economics, Denison, Florida State, all these great schools are doing with Protopia. Visit protopia.co forward slash alumless and be sure to mention Ryan and Chris. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Well, so Chris, we were going to talk a little bit about engagement at big, complex universities today. And I thought, you know, a good place to begin would be to ask you, you know, you are totally happy leading CMAC. I know, right? Uh, you have no hurry to hop back into a alumni leadership role or you know, be a vice president somewhere. But if you had to go back and run an alumni program somewhere or office of engagement or advancement VP, whatever it is, what kind of school would you want to work for? What kind of school would you select? The, the honest answer, Ryan, is that I wouldn't. <laughs> That's a very consultant answer. The, yeah. uh, the, usually it would be the it depends answer. It depends, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the, if I had to, absolutely had to, I would pick something different than what I've done before. I would pick a large public institution um, with a kind of a power five football conference, you know, that reputation that comes with that. And get after it at that level because I've always, I've worked with many of them, but I've not worked at any of those places. And it would be fascinating to take it on. And as I'm saying that, I'm thinking of Rod who's backstage going, no, careful what you wish for. On yeah, that exactly. One. Right. So that's my lame answer, Ryan. But the honest answer is I, I wouldn't at this point in my career, it's time you know for this work to keep going, what it's doing and or something completely different, but I don't think I yeah. take on an alumni role ever again. Well, it is kind of nice to not have to manage anyone and really Except when it comes with you, Ryan. That's my biggest except managing me. (laughs) Of course. That's true. And I I can definitely be a bit of a a burden on the on your management skills there. (laughs) Not at all. Um, but so we work with colleges and universities, all shapes and sizes. We also work with uh other types of organizations like industry associations, uh professional associations. A lot. Actually, currently, you are at Rollins College yep. in uh, in Florida, small liberal arts school. And then, you know, last week uh, and, and throughout this fall, you've been at big schools, too, like Indiana University, NC State University, of course, uh, UCF, right, are, are um, one of our partners. I know there's lots of differences in terms of, you know, what do you, but what do you think are the similarities that unite the challenges facing schools that are big in size like that? It, it, what I have found interesting is that everywhere you go as a consultant, so I've been on 500 college campuses, I think, over my years and uh, looked under the hood at as many schools and 
Um, and every single school will tell you that their alumni are different. <laughs> their <laughs> alumni are special. <laughs> and I say, of course, your alumni are special. They're your alumni, right? Of course they are. So there are some the pride and loyalty that people feel towards institution is the one thing that I feel consistently across. But I also feel consistently, especially at a larger, the more complex and larger you get, the more likely that this is true, is that that pride and loyalty doesn't translate into things that you and I would measure as engagement or philanthropy in some way. So you, you see the similar challenges. And that's, that's true at whatever scale, practically speaking, you you have small schools who deal with the same challenge. We have these loyal alums who love this place, but they don't do things that we could then say, look, they're engaged. They're measured, measurably engaged in some way. Um, so, so that's, that, that's an interesting common ground and, and, and common frustration. I think that are shared, you know, another big challenge that I see in this space consistently is, is around young alumni. How do we engage our most recent graduates? And we're going to talk to Rod here in a second, who is, at a relatively young institution where most of his alumni at the age I'm at right now, I would consider to be young, our young alumni <laughs> younger than me. So what do you do in that situation? And then the last thing I'll say here, Ryan, is that too many people in the alumni engagement space uh, are too busy doing too much. And we're really bad at saying no or subtracting or stopping things. And that, that leads to, um, a very tactical response oriented way of doing your job. You come in and clean out your inbox and get ready, ready for the thing coming up this week. And you have no time for strategic thinking. And so that is multiplied at a, at an even higher degree at a large public institution with all the things going on. So let's bring Rod in to talk about these topics. Cause they're real. We were just talking to him about one as we came yeah. on air. So I will probably, we'll probably bring it up to the question of staffing here once again, but um yeah, and to those who are listening live with us, please uh, introduce yourselves in the comments there of our LinkedIn event and at school you're, you're with. And of course, if you have any questions during the show uh, or that we might answer in the podcast section of the of the show that uh, in our bonus 30 minutes, please do plug them in. We'll be try to address them as we forge ahead. But yeah, let's bring Rod out. Hello, Rod. Hello there. You? Ryan, nice to see you and Chris. We it's got so it. good to have you. Rod, Rod, <laughs> you are the senior vice president for advancement and partnerships at the University of Central Florida. We're, we're grateful to have you. Um, you've led teams at uh, some of the biggest state schools in the country, including the University of South Florida, University of Cincinnati, University of Buffalo, and now at UCF. Uh, these are big, complex institutions. Um, do you enjoy the complexity, I guess, is the first question I wanted to throw at you. Uh, well, I do. And I, Chris, I heard your comments and a lot of uh, uh, what you enjoy in a position I absolutely love. I love the complexity. Uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, you've also heard the saying, uh, be careful what you wish for, uh, because that complexity also comes with it a, a great deal of uh, it comes with some headaches as well. But having worked at a very small liberal arts uh, college in upstate New York early in my career. It was Alfred University. I mean, we had 2,000 students and the advancement organization, I think, had a total of uh, 20 people in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you, now you fast forward where I have 225 employees and that uh, right. um, you know, one of the big differences is, is that now you have a team that's dedicated to like prospect research or um, you know, you're not necessarily having to be a jack of all trades. You specialize in a certain area. And I think it allows us to do so much more. Yeah, I think. And I forgot to mention that sort of earlier experience on your resume at Alfred, yeah. which, of course, does give you quite a, an additional set of perspectives on working for different universities. But so what have you learned about how advancement at these big organizations function and, and when are they working at their best? You know, I think that um, when they're working at their best is when every single aspect of the organization understands what it needs to do and how it intersects with the other parts of the organization. I think that, uh, you know, the larger you get, the more siloed you can become. And I think even small organizations be can become siloed. 
But I think the larger you are, the more siloed you can become. And, and, and sometimes we lose um, perspective in regards to why we're doing something or how we're doing something. And that it, it takes a lot of collaboration and communication to make sure everyone can be on the same page. And, and I think that uh, it's not like it's not having a meeting with one person. It could be 10 people. It could be 20. It could be 40. And uh, and then the reality is, is that when you get a group that large, you don't always get the dialogue that you hope for or it's not always completely understood uh, about what's being said or the impacts because because you're so big and and it makes the organization like one college may be doing something. And when you you make a statement about what need what we need to transition to, it could mean something that same statement can be mean something completely different for another college within the university itself. Yeah. Rod, we report him on air. I don't know if you know this, Rod, about this show, but we will often go off script and it's usually my fault. Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised, Chris. That's okay. <laughs> Ryan rolls his eyes, but but as we were coming on air, we were talking about one of those specific challenges. I mean, you, you can handle an off-script question. You're a senior vice president, for God's sake. So, right. Um, describe the problem you're facing. We don't have to get into the reasons behind it, but just yeah, yeah. I mean, share the complexity and the scale that we're talking about this. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we came out of the pandemic uh, and like most universities they had a hiring freeze. And so when we come out of the pandemic, you the hiring freeze is lifted. But then at the same time, my position wasn't filled. So there was kind of like a hold on positions. And no matter every single organization um, is going to have turnover, whether or not the vice president is there, whether or not there's a pandemic, we all experience turnover. But if you're not filling those needs and then you have two years worth of that, and compounded with the fact that I'm trying to also um, uh, grow a division, uh, I currently have 31 open positions at varying states of uh, the hiring process. And I have another 24 that are um, on hold because some of them are positions that we don't want to hire until the person that we're currently looking for. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, 54. 55 positions that I have open out of my 225. That's a lot of vacancies and a lot of hiring. And we've already hired 20 people this year. Yeah. And 10% is the number that's sort of normal and manageable, but 25% is that's, that's a big nut. It is. And, you know, and, and part of it, people would say, well, are you losing people? Well, you always have some of that natural transition, but if you have two years of it, and you haven't filled any of those, as well as you're adding new positions because we're ramping up for a campaign uh, and investing in the organization. Um, I'm in a unique situation. I don't have a budget problem. I have a hiring problem. Yeah, yeah. So what do you what do you do about that? <laughs> uh, you know, fortunately, we we're now starting to do pool advertising, so that um, we almost want to constantly keep. Um, certain types of level of position, like a director of development, always be looking because we know we're always going to be needing those positions. Uh, but we also are, are, are trying to find creative ways to keep people, to motivate people to want to come here. And, and we really need to be deploying all of these things, including We've emphasized in this past year a lot of culture development. Um, I have partnered with a, a firm to do some culture enhancement for my executive team, my direct reports, my leadership team, and the whole division mm. because um, the, the uh, atmosphere and the spirit of the organization when I arrived was uh, pretty depleted and it needed to feel like... Um, we had direction, we had focus, and that we believed in the people. And, and that's what we're really focusing on this past year, and it's helping. Yeah. It, it, so it's not just a recruitment thing. You're thinking, coming at it from a retention standpoint, too, to keep the people there. Absolutely. And that, uh, you know, I, we've been taking steps uh, moving towards uh, an incentive compensation program. And it's not just for the fundraisers, it really would be for anyone in the division. But, you know, if you've ever tried to do these things, you really need to start first and foremost with consistent uh, performance evaluations across the division, not just with a select group. 
And you also have to make sure that the goals that you're establishing for that year are structured in a way that you can determine in very clear path to incentive compensation. Because I view incentive compensation, uh, whatever you want to call it, it really is you went above and beyond. It's not that you hit your goal. Right. That's, exactly. right. that's that's not what incentive compensation is. It's it's a, you went above and beyond. And if you don't have above and beyond goals or expectations, you, you don't know if you're ever going to be able to achieve it. Yeah, I love that you're thinking of it in these ways. And it sounds like you're your own personal skill set in managing people and leading organizations, management and leadership has evolved over time in your three big roles that you've had recently. Oh, absolutely. I, I recall my first uh, permanent vice pre or presidency or presidency of a foundation and that, um, you know, I was an interim at the University of South Florida as the CEO and head of the foundation for about five months and that uh, uh, that prepared me but it didn't completely compare prepare me for when all of a sudden now you have the job permanent. You're in the seat, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Pause for a second. I have another question for you. We'll be back on script. But if anybody's online, I know we have several people online listening live and some of your former employees are with us, uh, Rod, just so you know. Jump in, say hi, shout out, ask a question, jump in the chat on LinkedIn. Uh, but back on script, Rod. Um, if you could go back to any of those previous roles and look at something you instituted, a policy, a decision that you made, basically, if you could do a do-over, what comes to mind as something you would want to do differently? Um, actually, Chris, that's a great question. And I think that I have done it um, uh, in my next two jobs. I think that... Uh, the importance of culture and how the my direct reports interact and engage with each other um, is so important that you know now it's it's a conversation that I have uh, literally the first day with my direct reports um, that while I don't always think that we'll agree on everything. It's how do we uh, civilly engage with each other uh, in a professional way so that it's healthy for the organization and, and set that expectation from the very beginning? Because I think that in itself is a culture standard that I've now deployed here at Central Florida. I deployed it when I was at the University of Buffalo in that um, uh you know, we don't always need to agree, but we need to be a, a unified leadership organ, uh, executive team so that we respect one another and that uh, we know how to work through our differences. Yeah, love it. That's, that's leadership. I love and, it. And Chris, you know, it all, when, when it starts going bad, it all cascades down. And so when it's going well, it also cascades down into the organization yep. and they feel it. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest, I guess, compliments I can say is when uh, you have people that are lower in the organization, they think that every decision is mine because <laughs> my direct reports were so in sync with each other. It's like, yeah. well, they don't actually know what's behind the curtain. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, what happens behind the curtain is is real dialogue, real debate, real discussion for us to get to that commonplace. Yeah, it's great insight. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I think, you know, part of culture building, Rod, is, is you know, your team, of course, but it's it's campus wide. Right. And it, it, it radiates out across the university, these big complex schools like like UCF. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, we talk a lot about decentralized and that's a really key component of a large institution. Right. Is the these huge uh, colleges across campus, uh, arts and sciences, tens of, tens of thousands of students and alumni themselves, right? Yeah. And so what, what is the key, do you think, of building relationships with academic deans? You know, I think that with that, it really is helping them understand how we as a, a central organization support what they need. And, you know, and I've said this over and over to deans is that um, I don't determine your fundraising priorities. Um, what I do, though, is I'm the fundraising process. 
Uh, same thing for alumni engagement. Um, it's, you know, I don't, um, you have unique alumni and they have unique needs. So you know them better than anyone else. So, you know, I'm about the process of doing alumni engagement, but how do you meet the needs uniquely? Because a College of Engineering alum is probably going to have different ways that they want to engage than a College of Arts and Humanities alum. And, and we need to understand that, respect that. But uh, so my goal is to provide the infrastructure and support so that they uniquely can carry out the mission of engagement or fundraising, but the structure is uh, done centrally so that we're consistent across the university. Well, and sort of to add on to, to the thought, I mean, I, I remember my experience at the University of Virginia. I was there for in about three years. And, and I remember there was this pull ongoing back and mm -hmm. forth between the deans pulling you know, towards a decentralized model versus the advancement unit pulling towards a more centralized led model for advancement. And when you think about your experiences, you think about your current role, is there a right structure when it comes to decentralized versus centralized? Is there a as homeostasis, if you will, that you're that you're trying to and what does it look like when it's when it's right? Yeah, I think there really is in that, um, you know, we're in the process now and it was also through an engagement with all of you and uh, uh, also a previous engagement since some of the knowledge that I learned when you did the consulting work at the University of Buffalo is how do you find the balance to support the colleges, but also have it coordinated with what the Central Alumni Engagement Office does. And, um, you know, so this is where we landed and we're, um, actually have our director of college-based engagement that reports centrally uh, that starts next week. And, and all our college's alumni engagement uh, associate directors will be reporting into that person. So I've made a real commitment to, and, you know, and there are colleges that are, that are getting these positions. They're not paying for them. I'm paying for them. Yeah. And and it's, we're going to provide this for you and it's going to support what you need to do, but we needed to give it central leadership so that, you know, I don't, right now um, we have a challenge where some of our alumni engagement people are reporting to the uh, development person in the college. And, and I don't really want my development people worrying about how we're putting on an alumni engagement event. Yeah. I want them to go to it. I want them to interact with people that are there, but I don't want them hosting and coordinating the details of it and that the central alumni organization can support that. And, uh, and then it allows us to also more consistently represent our brand because, you know, there's certain things that we can compromise on with our brand and there's certain things we can't. And, and what are those things? And I think that every, college and university, it doesn't matter your size across this country. I mean, you have to understand what those standards are. You know, Chris, we um, often get brought in on to, to work with our, our partners, our clients during periods of um, transition. Uh, sometimes we get brought in when there's excess friction happening in, in one way or another. And I think it's fair to say that the dynamic that Rod is referring to, the decentralized versus centralized uh, touch point or dynamic is, is one that particularly at large schools can be really confounding, I think, and can be a real challenge for a centralized team to try to navigate. Um, when there's the most amount of unhealthy friction happening, Chris, like what are, what are the dynamics that are typically at play there? Yeah. And I see it certainly at the larger, more complex places that Rod's been recently um, and that now. But I'm here at Rollins College today. They have a 40 person advancement team, you know, 40,000 alumni, which is on the high end for a liberal arts college. Um, but even they have struggles with silos. It's, it's it goes to, you know, Ryan, we have a list of you know six questions you must ask before you take any initiative. And one of those questions is, who else needs to know? <laughs> and collaboration starts at a very early stage at whatever size school you're at. So, so, but I, I, you know, if I had to answer what it boils down to when I see unhealthy you know, or friction, 
behavior, it comes down to trust is a big piece. There's a little bit of ownership in there, somebody wanting control or ownership of, of a certain aspect or outcome. And, and, and at the, you know, at the core of all of those is, um, is, is better internal communications. Just, just being better about talking to each other. Rod talked about it. It might be one or two people. It could be 40 people. But the communications that's needed to collaborate and to be aligned in the right direction and to break down silos internally is often – in fact, we don't get to those things because we're too busy doing all the other things that are on our plate. And that's the problem with our end. We don't take time to be thoughtful and be strategic about how do we collaborate either. So those are the pieces that I would identify and hard to fix those things, frankly. I mean, it, you got it. There's a lot of work done in that, but it starts at the top. It starts with culture and it starts with leadership um, and building that sort of trust in an organization all the way down is where we start to see schools that are functioning at a high level have sort of checked those boxes and they're working through some of those components. Yeah, I think it's it's um, a, the internal communication piece is, is huge, you know, making sure that everyone knows all the great work that you're doing, you know, yeah. and also being willing to listen to the ideas. But you know, every graduate that you are engaging graduated from a college at the university. Right. So they are all the work that you're doing. Sometimes it's just they didn't they don't know all the all the work that you're doing and, and what's coming up and, and what you're uh, invested in doing next. Switching gears just a little bit, Rod, I wanted to ask you a question. One of my favorite questions to ask senior advancement leaders is about your all-time favorite gift or partnership. I know partnerships is actually in your title. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask, you know, which has been your, your favorite partnership or, or, or gift if you wanted to, to talk about and having secured for the institution that you were leading at the time? Yeah, and I think that... Um, you know, every institution, there's been something different in it. It's not necessarily the size of the gift. It's the impact of the gift that, to me, is uh, what matters more. And and I think back to, you know, I've only been here at UCF now 15 months. And like you said, Ryan, um, I now have a, a whole new partnerships area that we're developing. And our, our first two Pegasus partners were Advent Health and Orlando Health. And um, you know, my involvement with those, I mean, I'm one of a team that uh, was involved in those. It really ended up partnering also with gifts that were uh, came about via Dr. Phillips Charities, which is a foundation that's uh, more here in the local Orlando area. And, and it really allowed us to uh, focus on um, enhancing what we're doing with our College of Nursing, expanding the workforce, expanding the graduates to meet the needs uh, for us. I mean, our aging population and, and seeing the, the impact that it's going to make. It's going to, we're going to build a new building. We got legislative money to, that uh, corresponds with this. So you see that synergy of all of this happening and knowing that it's going to be better for our community, our our state, our nation, and what the types of graduates we're going to produce uh, and, and their impact, that's really exciting to see, to know that we can, philanthropy is really changing something. Yeah, love yeah. that impact. Yeah. And, you know, when I was at the University of Cincinnati, it was uh, a gift that was for the uh, Innocence Project and for the state of Ohio. And and when you have a gift announcement and, and it's featuring someone who was incarcerated um, for 39 years and he was innocent. Mm -hmm. And that Innocence Project in the College of Law at the university um, uh, really was uh, instrumental in getting his release. And, and we had a longtime uh, supporter of the program uh, establish a significant gift as part of his estate to, to really keep that going. Uh, that's profound. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. But on the other hand, I, I go back to my time when I was at the University of North Florida and we had a mother come in and her son was killed in the Iraq war. And three weeks after he uh, died, She's in my office wanting to establish a scholarship in his name because he didn't finish college and he wanted to. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be a catalyst for others to go to, to college was really profound as well. Wow. Yeah. Those are some great stories. Well, yeah. you know, Ryan, I just I, side note here a little bit. Future guest on our show. And I'm pretty sure Rod knows this person. John Fudo 
who's now at UMass Lowell, who was at UConn for many years in the alumni space, but he's now a VP for advancement. And one of the things he's done there pretty routinely is that he'll take a, a big gift, a transformational gift that comes in and have his team do research on what it took over 20, 30 years to get that person engaged, who connected with them, what happened. So it's sort of the journey map of a gift to get to that point where that person came in to make that impact that you just described there, Rod. But John would be fun to have one talk about the story, but Rod, I'm sure you've thought about these things too. All the touch points that happened oh, yeah. prior to you making that ask is significant. significant. So many, and it's and it's really not, um, you know, I'm only, um, I'm one of the instruments, right. I, I, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have reached the top of the hour. We're going to pick up our conversation with Rod Grabowski, uh, Senior Vice President for Advancement and Partnerships at the University of Central Florida in our bonus segment that you can listen to on the podcast edition of Alumless uh, through your favorite podcast app. But, uh, Chris, we'll be back in two weeks' time on the 22nd with another guest on the show. Who do we Monica have? Monica Keith from uh, Knox College. Yeah. Polar opposite type of institution from UCF, but Monica is another great uh, vice president out there, leader of that organization. And Ryan, you're going to be there next week, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm actually flying to uh, Galesburg, Illinois, uh, <laughs> which is a Peoria, and then a, a car ride to do a workshop there on Monday. But one of the things I love about Monica is her background is actually advancement operations. Uh, cool. She came up to the vice president position through kind of the, the data and reporting side of the house. And that's unusual. So we're going to talk with Monica about the work she's doing at uh, Knox College, which is a small private school in Illinois, and uh, how her experience on the operations side informs the work she's doing now. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with Monica. And then we're going to record our bonus section with Rod. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Hey, Chris. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a conference together in New York City. And everyone was buzzing about how AI is going to play a role in shaping the future of advancement. Yeah, it's it was the clear theme of the conference and on everyone's mind. And when I'm at a conference like that, I do my best to talk to everybody I possibly can and hear what they're thinking. Everyone I talked to, and I had a list of 53 people I ended up bumping into or meeting with, AI was on everyone's mind. It was definitely interesting to hear the conversation about AI level up recently with ChatGPT coming into the news, because actually we've been talking about AI and machine learning with Max and the team at Protopia for the last few years now. Yeah, well, you know, when I looked at Protopia a couple of years ago, I was blown away by what it, it, was, it seemed like a huge leap forward in technology and how we engage with our alums and connect them with our students and our donors. Um, it, I think it's also a great lead generation tool. I've been recommending it to my clients now for a couple of years, and it, it's a solution that should be investigated by everyone for sure. And I tell my, I try to stay agnostic, but I tell my clients, make sure you look at Protopia. It's transforming the way we think about and how we measure alumni engagement. And already that's why leaders at schools like Denison, LSE, Duke, Pitt, VCU, Florida State, and others have partnered with Protopia to use the power of AI to help students and alumni connect with each other. And we are psyched to have Protopia as our first presenting sponsor. Uh, to me, to me, it's a no brainer. If I were leading an alumni relations shop today, it would be one of the first things I would do would be to install this technology and have it connect our alums to each other and to our students. We recommend all alumless listeners head over to protopia.co forward slash alumless. That's P-R-O-T-O-P-I-A dot C-O forward slash A-L-U-M dash L-E-S-S and schedule a time to chat with the Protopia team. They'll be happy to talk shop for a few minutes and share more about their exciting AI powered technology. All right. Well, we are back with Rod Grabowski. And thank you for joining us for listening to the podcast of edition of Alumless, making it part of your podcast listening habits, you know, whether it's at the gym or you're cooking dinner, you know, or walking the dogs. Definitely grateful to have you listening to Alumless with us, making it part of your routine. 
Rod, we've Chris and I have had the chance to get to know UCF a little bit over the last uh, year or so, and plenty of folks don't know much about UCF. They know it's a big school, right? They know they've learned a little bit about the school from its emergence in uh, athletics. But I thought it would be a good place to start our bonus segment here. Maybe have you just tell listeners a little bit more about UCF and its you know the u- unique characteristics of the school. Absolutely, Ryan. I think that uh, what I have found in the past 15 months, and I thought I knew UCF, uh, having worked in the state of Florida for 15 years, but in reality, uh, I really didn't. And UCF was formed in 1963 uh, as Florida Technological University, and it really was formed to support uh, John F. Kennedy's space race that was announced um, And so we're only, what, 30, 35 miles from the Space Coast. And to have a university like we are that is so heavily engineering-focused, technology-focused, but then, uh, you know, about 20, 25 years ago, we started growing. And the the need for our graduates is immense. And we, we, uh, I think, topped out just above 71,000 a couple of years ago. We're right now... 71,000 students, yes. Uh, And we're currently at 69,700 students enrolled this semester. And ironically, the Florida Board of Governors several years ago thought that we probably grew too big. Now they're asking us to grow even more. Even more, right. (laughs) Uh, And what we're really focusing on is, the president and I have been out on a, a listening tour, is that we're hearing from companies, we're hearing from people in the community that they need more of our graduates. They need uh, uh, every type of graduate that we can graduate, whether it be in our school of hospitality or college of hospitality management, which is ranked number one in the country, to our engineering program. We have over 13,000 students just in our college of engineering. And our goal is to grow that to uh, 25,000. Wow. That's awesome. And Rod, the, so 70,000 ish students, but alumni number, I, I'm aware of, is like 360,000? That's correct. About 360,000. We graduate about 17 to 18,000 students a year. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, so, Rod, we've been working with your Office of Alumni Engagement and Annual Giving. Uh, you've got a couple of great leaders there, in, uh, Heather Janot and Angie Shaw. Um, what have you noticed so far about the unique aspects of, of UCF? It's a school that's doing great things. It's, it's oozing a ton of potential. Uh, we talked a little bit about you know, the health sciences being huge there. You mentioned the, the proximity to the, the Space Coast, right, and, and engineering. But how would you describe sort of the unique characteristics of the school? What, what sort of differentiates it? Well, when you... Uh... We're, we're a large, comprehensive university, so there's pretty much any degree you would like. We pretty much have it. Uh, we don't have dental medicine, but we have just about everything else, uh, and we don't have law. But I say all of that when you look at our the age of our alums, because we're graduating so many now versus when we first started, uh, the average age of our alums, I believe, is uh, 41. Uh, so when you look at the demographic uh, uh, concentration, it's, it's much more on the younger side. And so we're having to look at what type of alumni programming we do, but we, you know, to attract, uh, a generation, the different generations, but also how does our alumni engagement support the fundraising side of the organization so that it's not, everything is not just, marketed towards the masses because we grew so quickly to 360,000 alums. I mean, think about it. In five years, we're going to add another 100,000 graduates. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, somebody said to me last week, our young, our alums are so young that, you know, oftentimes if the school has had steady growth that not to be morbid, but you're, you're dying at almost the same rate that you are graduating. We're not, we're, yeah. we're definitely on the plus side of the growth. Seems that's like been one of the things I've noticed that's been um, the pace of which it's happened, Rod. I mean, you're catching up and passing a bunch of schools in terms of the largest alumni population. You're now higher on the list than you were f- 
five years ago and you will be again five years from now. That's right. And how do you engage with them in a meaningful way and do it in mass? And I can't staff for that level of activity. Yeah. Let let me pay a compliment to your alumni team, Rod. That was one of the things in that environment that you just described, large, fast, decentralized and all that. You have, you know, I can count on one hand the number of schools that have developed as sophisticated of a form for measuring the alumni engagement work you do using the case standard. So kudos to, I think Angie's been the captain of that initiative and, and Heather's been, um, of course, part of a huge part of it. But the um, the work that UCF has done is if you're listening to this and you want to look at a, a school, a large school that figured it out. Not perfect. Whenever, it's a journey. You're never going to be that's done right. with this process. But from a school that's gotten from you know the startup to where they are right now in measuring dashboards, using the data to make decisions and, and uh, reporting on it in a way where people understand what the impact of engagement is, UCF is a leader in this space. So kudos to your team, Rod, and to you for leading that. Well, they're great. And a lot of that, I can't even take credit for it. They were doing it before I got here, and we're just augmenting at this point. Yeah, yeah fine-tuning. Yep. Yep, fine-tuning it. Just to add to that, I mean, one of the things that when Chris and I will, will interview, you know, we'll do an assessment and we'll ask whether they're volunteers or staff members at a university for what's the secret sauce there? You know, what makes the university different? And sometimes you'll get back, well, we have small class sizes and our professors are accessible and, you know, like these, these, our campus is beautiful, right? We'll get these sort of selling features that are kind of uh, the same across lots of universities. And it sort of signals that there isn't really a lot of differentiation with the campus. But when we interviewed your alumni, and your uh, staff members, they're like, you know what? This place stands for innovation. This place stands for if it's not here, you can build it. Uh, and they all said that, you know what I mean? It was really something uh, unique that I felt like in the couple of years I've been doing this work where you have such a, a sort of clear understanding. Maybe everyone doesn't feel that way, perhaps, or maybe not, not everyone's innovated, but it felt like that was the vibe that uh, is there and um, people were, were kind of definitive about that's what the school stands for. So I thought that was pretty cool. It, it's very much the vibe and it's felt all across this campus. And so uh, our president jokes, I mean, one of the things that we're measured on is our graduation rate, our four-year graduation rate and six-year graduation rate. And we're struggling a little bit with a four-year graduation rate. And, and jokingly, our alums or our students don't want to leave. They enjoy it so much. And they they say that to us. And it's like, no, we need you to graduate. Come back and get your master's. That's fine. But get your degree in four years. Don't don't add another year just because you don't want to leave. I'm going to take my time and enjoy this. No, no, no. Get your but degree. if you go back and give your 22-year-old self-advice, you'd say, stay in school. Take your time and enjoy it. <laughs> So that that may have been a, a surprise uh, when you sort of were hearing from st- students that they'd like to stay. I, you've been at first the school for a, over a year now. Have there been other surprises? Something, anything stand out that you kind of surprised you? Um, I think that the uh, the real desire for this university to think about where it needs to be for the future. Not only we're being innovative now. But we acknowledge that sometimes we can't get out of our own way and that, uh, I mean, any place could say that, whether you're large or small, and that we're trying to tackle those things. We're continuing to try and grow and mature because this university, this one of the things that I was really surprised about is we grew up so fast. We need to grow into ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. And, and what I mean by that is it's about systems, process. And I'm not talking bureaucracy. I'm talking about best practice so that, you know, when you, you know, I guess when the, you're a carpenter and the first time you're building a house, you just kind of wing it. Uh, well, by the time you've done it four or five, six, eight times, you're like, oh, there might be have to be a better way. And, uh, you know, what, what are the standards and what are the best ways to do it? And, and that's really kind of where we're at is that how do you best do this so that, uh, you know, we're spending the time right now with deans really trying to understand what do you want to fundraise for and what do you need to advance your programs? And they're not used to thinking that way because their budgets were always growing because they uh, were getting more students every single year. But now it's flat. And the budgets are 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 pretty much uh, 
you know, locked in. One of the bits of feedback that we got, Rod, when we we've been interviewing uh, your your folks at the school was that this that UCF was sideload by necessity due to its size, which was a really interesting comment. I'm not sure everyone feels that way or that siloing is indeed a necessity. But why do you think folks may have said that? And um, what do you think about that remark? Um, I think they partly may have said that because we grew up so quickly. And, um, you know, I guess the question would be is if if I'm not siloed, it's very difficult to get decisions to move forward. So I need to do that in order to have any type of movement. Um, I think that what I'm trying to do is remove the silos and practice more communication uh, between even in, in our division alone, because my division also includes now university communications and marketing, and it includes uh, this whole partnership area, uh, plus development, alumni engagement, and the foundation. Just so, just those few things. <laughs> just those few things, and and you know, and and right now we're going through this exercise where we're engaging with a communications uh, higher ed communications consulting firm to help us redefine our university brand and also to help us develop a toolkit so that we know currently there's 143 communicators across this university. Only 28 of them report to my organization. Yeah. And we're not giving them a toolkit or direction on how to better talk about the university and, and what direction do we want to go in and how to package it. And so they're kind of doing it on their own. And so what we need to do is provide better direction. I'm not talking about, they don't need to report to me. I don't need any more reports. It's about giving them direction. Yeah. I recall during 08, 09, I was at Cornell, Rod, during economic crisis, a lot of schools were right-sizing, even the Ivy League schools with lots of money were right-sizing. We did a, we had a company come in and do an audit of a communications and the number across Cornell was 400 communicators. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. But let, let me go back to you and, and advancement. And, and do you have a, um, a guiding philosophy as an advancement leader or a brand of leadership in the way, the way you approach your work? How would you describe that? I would describe it. And I've thought a lot about this in that I've learned uh, through my different vice presidencies and, and other roles, even even more junior. Uh, and I would like to believe that I come across as a collaborative leader that provides vision and direction that allows uh, my direct reports to have ownership and I give them the room they need to be able to be successful. So I agree on everything. And I'll throw an and as an outsider looking in. The other thing I've admired about your work, I've seen it two places now, and you have high standards for the output and you hold people accountable to results. I've liked what you've done in those two areas as well. I would agree with that. And, you know, and it honestly goes back to the days when uh, my son uh, and I was uh, a Boy Scout growing up. I'm an Eagle Scout. My son uh, is an Eagle Scout. And when I was his Scoutmaster, uh, we had the largest troop in Cincinnati. We had 125 wow. Cool. Uh, scouts and the average troop size in America at the time was 19. So yeah. <laughs> you're doing something right. And I remember all these young uh, boys or young men, they wanted to be the patrol leader. They wanted that patch on their shoulder that said, I'm in charge. And then, you know, that was the conversation I had with them. Well, you might get that patch. So that comes with you. So you have the responsibility, but you also uh, have to accept the accountability. And they didn't always understand what I meant until all of a sudden you have to make some decisions. You have to make some hard decisions. And that uh, that's the same thing with my team here is that if you want the responsibility, great, but it comes with accountability. Yeah. Love it. I've seen that message pretty clear, consistent. Again, at least at the last two I've looked at, I'm sure yeah. probably something that's evolved over your career. I bet you've seen that as well, a best practice. It has to, because I think that in the beginning, you know, I was one of those that uh, when I came out of South Florida, I was, you know, the campaign director and the senior associate vice president of development. So you're I'm managing a lot of the detail. But then when I stepped into the presidency of the foundation at Cincinnati, you know, I couldn't 
I found myself trying to manage some of those details. And then I really recognized I had to step back and, and say, I just set the expectation and yeah. let the team figure out how they want to get there versus me dictating every step. Yeah. That's, that's helped me grow as yeah. a leader. Yeah. Another good lesson in, in your own development there is that what got you to where you were in that moment was not going to get you to where you wanted to be next because you needed to change your leadership style for that to happen. That's right. And, uh, you know, it also is a lot of self-reflection. I bet. You, I know, bet. And you have a lot of arguments with yourself and <laughs> sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. But <laughs> a little self-doubt creeps in every now oh, and then. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself sort of modulating there, Rod, in terms of like, you've given, um, you know, the expectations or you provided the scaffolding, but yeah. it's not getting the house isn't getting built like you imagined it. And, and then you have to sort of adjust and manage more or provide more. Like, do you ever, do you ever feel like yourself you're going kind of back and forth from that position at all? Or is that, is that evolved over time? You know, you have to sometimes. And that, and I've said, my team has heard this is that I can micromanage and I will if I need to. I don't like to anymore. And that uh, so let's have an honest conversation on where things are at and how are we going to move it to where it needs to be. And so my goal is to always engage and involve my uh, direct reports specifically on those things, but also understanding that what we do sometimes is messy. It's never yeah. going to be pristine and perfect. And uh, boy, I learned that with my son's Boy Scout troop is that you want to talk about messy, <laughs> you know, 125, 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds kind of moving in a direction. Um, yeah, we as the parents could have stepped in and made things perfect and had all the you know, we go on a camp out and we see, you know, these camperies and we see these troops that every tent is perfectly aligned. I'm like, oh, the adults set those up. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't the youth. And then we looked at ours is like, well, I don't think that they could have drawn a straight line, but they owned it. And, I, and it's kind of the same thing. But in the end, it still was very positive, very productive. And I and I. Uh, think the same thing about uh, even my team here is that um, and we're not always going to hit our marks and then we have to understand and evaluate how do we move forward from where we're at. Well, it gets you to shift back to alumni engagement. Ryan, let's get, by, by the way, let me point out that Ryan went off script there, not me that time. So <laughs> for the record, did you have a follow-up, Ryan? Can I go to the next Actually, question? Actually, I, I did have a follow-up in go. mind, um, largely because we're trying to fill out a 30-minute section here and we're actually ahead of schedule. So this is what I do as I modulate our shows, Chris, as I make sure we elongate discussions <laughs> when appropriate. And I, felt like and I screw moment, it up by throwing them in when we're behind schedule. I get it. Okay. I got it. <laughs> at this, at this, at this moment, I was thinking about a, a current uh, client uh, that, you know, really wants to lead with that perspective where you kind of provide the scaffolding and let them run with it. But there's this interesting dynamic where she is not sure about the capacity of the team. Yeah. And are the, is the team working at their potential, you know, and and using their time well, yeah. right? Uh, and so I, I don't know, Chris, maybe you have some thoughts on that. Like when you have to go into micromanagement mode and you have to assess, you know, whether the team is able to, uh, is working at their potential, you know, what, what's something, what are some tactics to take or just some thoughts on when you have to drift into that area? Rod, if you have anything, jump in here. But for me, it's, it, it, there's a point in that, con that it, the continuum, if you will, where it becomes a performance management issue at the, the worst end of it, where you have to make sure people understand clearly their role and manage them to certain outcomes. And if they can't do that, then they, they're not the right person for the role. Those are the harder ones. You don't want to get to that part. Lots of things, uh, they had happened before then. But I, I tell people, you know, when I was in management roles is that I am, you know, and, and it often will be received with surprise because I say at the beginning, I am an extreme micromanager. I'm going to drive you nuts until I fully understand that you can do the job, have the capacity, the skill set, and then I'm going to be the exact opposite. I'm going to let you go and do your job. And that might take three days, three weeks, three months. If it takes longer than that, that's when we get into that other part of the continuum where I have to step in even more. 
Yeah. And my, my ultimate goal, uh, it was to be able to say yes to everything that person came back to me and asked to do, because I wanted to get everything out of their way so they could be successful in their job. Um, that's, that's how I chose Rod jump in. What's your thoughts? You know, I would say the same thing, Chris. I think that, um, having, um, the staff members really, you know, this is where, you know, I think of that vice president and my, my counsel would be is that then you may need to have more frequent check-ins to understand how they're moving along, but don't take it from the approach of I'm going to micromanage every decision you make versus let's have a discussion about where you're at and what's next so that you can help guide them a little bit more but don't make the decisions for them if you can avoid it. Uh, uh, you know, it's about leading them to the, uh, the that decision so they can own it. Great advice. Great advice. I'm going to get back on script and ask you the alumni question that's on here, Rod. I'm curious, um, how has your view of the work of alumni engagement evolved or changed over the years that you've been in the various roles you've been, you've been in? Uh, I will say that... Um, you know, I always have felt that alumni engagement was the um, was a, a piece of the whole development process it, about engaging and connecting, uh, but uh, not to. Um, well, you can be honest, Rod. You're hesitating. Yeah. Be honest. <laughs> yeah, I will say that, Chris. The time of that I've engaged with you and in, in your firm in regards to uh, the ABCD concept that you outlined. Um, really kind of like, as I've talked about that and the different places that I've worked, it all of a sudden now has helped me and helped others realize the interconnection of how alumni engagement and development truly support one another. Yeah. And it stratifies it. I mean, I've always known about segmentation of your database to do an alumni engagement but uh, you know, now for us to actually segment the type of events we're doing, are they an A event or a B event versus the all call? Our problem is we all we do is all call events. And so yep. now we need to do some A, B events. And, and I think that that just, you know, the more that we do that type of work, it really showcases the interconnection between the two and it, it puts greater value on the work that alumni engagement can yep. contribute to the whole. And I, I, the, the, the one piece that I found, everything you said, and it provides a common language for you to refer to different communications, volunteer, That's events, right. whatever, with that lens on it. And it just makes it easier to have that conversation about what you're talking about. That's right. And that, um, you know, I don't have to redefine every single time right. in regards to, OK, what we're doing. I mean, it's, it's about developing a comprehensive strategy so that. Um, all, you know, so alumni engagement knows what it's doing and, and how it supports and then assists in the development process. Love it. Yeah. And likewise, back the other way. Back the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for listeners who are like, I'm not want to learn more about that ABCD process, definitely give us a call. We'll happily talk through what that's all about. It's uh, certainly a way to, to think about uh, engagement with a development lens. And um, it's, it's, I think it's an important piece of the puzzle for any integrated advancement shop to be thinking about that uh, development lens, right? Uh, what, from the standpoint of engagement. Let me make one comment on this, Ryan, because everything you said, I agree with. Uh, but Rod, you're not, there's never going to be a moment where you'll stop doing all call events. We're still going to do those. But it can't be all all call events. That's the that's the difference, right? And that's it. And you know, and when we looked at and we you know Buffalo and at uh, UCF, yeah. when we looked at the types of events that we've been doing, they're all CD events. Very yeah. rarely would you find an A event in there. Yeah. Now sometimes right. the development people are doing the A event, but they right. did it in a silo away from <laughs> alumni engagement. It's like uh. almost every place that we've worked with where we brought this sort of thinking in and using this language and this lens, will say, "Oh, we we do this already." And my response is, "Everybody does these things, but they're tactical one-offs. They're not a strategic common right. language and purpose of how we're approaching the work." Yep. Yeah. Well, we got just a couple minutes left. Let's move into our Friday cheers section where we kind of 
throw things out there that maybe are advancement related, maybe they're not, but it's the type of topics that we're winding things down on a, on a Friday afternoon. Maybe we've got a, a beverage of some sort and, uh, <laughs> you know, and we're, we're starting to, to relax into the weekend. All right. What's your Friday cheers? Uh, well, first of all, my Friday cheers is a is a great martini with a twist. But uh, <laughs> while I'm uh, uh, consuming that, I think that one of the things that I heard most recently from a colleague uh, out in the, the University of Colorado uh, Cancer Center was that she approaches um, uh, she has a lens of when someone comes to her with something. Uh, asking the question, because there's a book about this and I haven't read it yet. I need to get this book. And the question is, are you the author or do, you, or do you want me to be the author or do you want me to be the editor? And and it really has that perspective of, you know, do you want me to solve your problem or do you want me to give comment on what you're presenting and give you some feedback? I love that framing. That's really interesting. What's, yeah. You know what the book is? I don't. I mean, I think it's it's titled something like the author versus the editor. Um, yeah, yeah. I got to find it. I'll see if I can find out while Chris is doing his Friday cheers. Yeah. So um, full transparency, right as we got on the call, Ryan reminded both Rod and I that we need to have one. Ryan or Rod said, I have mine ready. And I said, I'll have one between now and the end of the webinar. <laughs> and I have <laughs> author, the author versus the editor dilemma. There you go. Oh, there we so go. By Brandon Smith. I found it. Go ahead, Chris. Good. That was good. I, I was trying to stretch for you there. So I did find one, though, and it reminded me, Rod, really was near the end when Rod was talking about um, rarely did we do A-B events when we looked at things at UCF or at Buffalo. But the one event that you do there that should be on the radar, people should morph into their institution, was that Buffalo was the Fast 46 program. That's right. Which, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. I could do it justice, I think. But, Rod, give us a uh, – you take a little bit of my Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Because I would well, give this advice about any institution to try to model this program. Rod, take it away. Well, and originally I wish I could say it all started at Buffalo, but it started in uh, Bill McCausland uh, brought it to the University of South Florida when I was there. And it was the Fast 56. And the right, founding Buff year or something, right? Yeah, founding year of the university. But uh, 46, we were 1846 in Buffalo. That's how old the university is in that. But I think that at Buffalo, I really love the way that it, we did it because it was we went through the top 46 fastest growing companies um, that were associated with an alum, either in the C-suite or the owner. And, you know, they had to submit their financials to a um, an independent auditor type of thing. And we had a, a, a session where we went through 46 company names in 45 minutes. So it was real quick. It moved. And then we had a reception afterwards, you know, cause we grouped them, you know, 36 to 46 and just listed a group. But then when we got down to the top 10, we, we put them in rank order and that number one company, they actually got to speak a little bit, but you want to talk about an, uh, energy uh we had people flying in from california to buffalo for right. this for the award right people in the room as they said right. it, was <laughs> it was great yeah that's yeah. awesome i've actually um, referenced that program for a couple of consulting uh partners who have thinking about you know integrated advancement right yeah. uh what's, what, are, what are the types of programs that really check the boxes so mine's a more personal one we i usually uh you know mix up the personal and the professional when it comes to the Friday cheers. And my typical, my cocktail of choice is an old fashioned love, a good bourbon, old fashioned. However, for the next year, it's all mocktails because I have decided that I am going to take at least one year off from drinking alcoholic beverages. And I am doing it because I started to just not enjoy them as much anymore. And, you know, I feel like every once in a while, you just got to kind of listen to your inner monologue telling you that I kept my body kept telling me that I need to give myself a little bit of a break on that uh, because I haven't had one really since I, you know, um, had the first alcoholic beverages probably when I was like 15 years old, you know, and take some small breaks here and there for a few weeks or months here and there, but never any really extended time. So listeners wish me luck. 
I'm going to uh, try to hold fast on that for a Brian, year. I will join you in that pledge for the next year. I will not have a drink either. But anybody <laughs> well, it's easy who- for a guy who's never had a drink in his life. But- exactly. So it's a little easier uh, for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only guy in the alumni space who can, well, not only, but one of the rare people who worked in the alumni engagement space who did not enjoy a cocktail. <laughs> wow. so, my, so my Friday cheers is in O'Doul's, and I got to tell you, I'm going to my wife's holiday party for her work tonight, and I am having a little bit of anxiety about the fact that there's, <laughs> I'm going to be drinking lime sodas all night long at an event where normally I would you know, be drinking one after the next. So anyway, uh, we have reached the end of our show for this week. Rod, thank you so much. It was great to have you. Awesome insights. Really yeah, good Rod, stuff. So, so appreciate your words and wisdom and taking some time to share it with our audience. Thank you very much, Rod. Well, My done. pleasure. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks on the 22nd of December with Monica Keith from Knox College and pick up the podcast version. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Bye now.